Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here as always, Chris Flamming. And today I have the pleasure of hosting Diana Schimmel on the podcast. She has been practicing family law in the Philly, South, and Central New Jersey areas for over a decade. Diana specializes in divorce and custody matters, adoptions, and grandparents' rights. She has extensive experience in mediation collaboration and has been named a rising star by Pennsylvania super lawyers since 2014. I often wonder who the super lawyers are. They get to pick those people, but I don't think anyone knows. Uh, Diana, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So you have an interesting backstory. Uh, Maybe take me through kind of a brief history of what led you to where you are today with your firm and with your practice. Sure. Yeah, I actually got out of law school at the time of the last economic crash in the 2008 to 2010 range. Law firms were crashing. The traditional trajectory that people were taking out of law school was not happening. So I thought about what I liked and I liked helping people. I didn't want to push paper around and help corporations. I wanted to really get my hands dirty and get into really litigating right away, but helping people at the same time. So I did a series of clerkships. I worked for a juvenile dependency judge, which Mm. was a huge eye-opener, you know, coming out of law school at 25 and dealing with all of our our children in Philadelphia who were abused and neglected. I did a rotation at the Philadelphia Public Defender's Child Advocacy Unit, so the same topic. And then I hung my shingle, and I haven't looked back since then. I've been a solo. I've had various iterations of partners, but I've been with Martine, Kat, Scanlon, and Jimmel for the last three years years, we're female founded, we're like minded, and we're a boutique family law shop. And this is where I think, you know, my career stops. I'm going to stick with these two. Okay. And we're going to ride it to the end. Okay, we're on record as you put that on record. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure your partners are probably happy to hear you say that. So yes. then all those clerkships that you did, is that really how you came to determine the focus of what your services are that you offer? Yeah, so I think is super important because it gives you an idea from like a bird's eye view. It doesn't Mm -hmm. give you plaintiff defendant. It gives you the judicial neutral. So it really gave me an understanding of what I wanted to do. So I knew that I wanted to represent people going through divorces. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that grandparents were extremely important. And where I practice in Pennsylvania and New Jersey, there's varying rights for grandparents and third parties. So that was something I was interested in. But the biggest takeaway that I got from my time as a clerk and, and in the juvenile 
juvenile dependency world was that adoptions were very much something that I was interested in. Mm. Now, I was managing them in the context of the public sector, which means when a child is no longer able to be reunified with their biological parent for one reason or another, we move to adoption because children deserve that permanency. But where I pivoted in my private practice was I started working with adoptive parents, not only those who couldn't achieve, you know, family building on their own because of infertility, but I started working with step parents, with grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins who were stepping in and raising children who were maybe biologically related to them, but not technically their parent-child relationship. And that's really where it took off. And it's a niche and there's only a few of us who do it in our area. Mm -hmm. And I love it. It's, I talk about it as the happy side of family law. Okay. All right. Well, and we'll get into that a little bit more later. I want to ask you some questions there. Um, well, if you could go back in time, maybe, and speak to the younger Diana, is there some advice that you would give her? Something maybe you know now that you wish you knew when you started out? Yeah, I think boundaries. That's the biggest mm. thing. Um, it's very easy when you're young and hustling to really be working 24-7 and to try and answer that client email super quickly. But I think you can be a more productive and better attorney when you set that boundary and you work smarter, not harder. I know it sounds cliche, but that really is, is it. And I also would tell her to just persist. I think we always go through ups and downs, not only in our society, but in our economy. And, you know, you have to keep pushing through. You'll still survive. Right. Yeah, you will. You can get through just about anything. <laughs> As we know from the financial crisis is when you started yes. out in the business, right? Okay, yeah. so you obviously you're passionate about how you're positioned right now and who you're working with comes through in what you're saying. And also I can tell by your body language. So is there something that you like best about your practice right now? You know, the, the thing that you enjoy the most? Yeah, I'd say we consider ourselves a boutique firm. There are certainly firms out there and you'll see the advertisements all over the place. You know, the $3.99 divorce, the churn and burn, you know, bulk practice, but that's not us. Mm-hmm. We are boutique. So we curate our, our clientele and our caseload so that we can give everybody enough time and attention and opportunity. Um, and that we really are also working for the people we want to be working for, mm. um, the people who appreciate the services that we provide. Okay. So that's sort of been our focus and what I really enjoy because it allows me to work with people who understand that I'm also human. I also have a family. Um, I'm not just somebody who they can bark orders at. Um, and it creates a different relationship and it's, it's nice. All right. So that's a good segue. So was that part of what you would describe as your ideal client? Who would be an ideal uh, client for the practice? That's a great question. And yeah, it is a segue. I think the ideal client is someone who comes to the divorce or custody or prenup sort of realm with knowledge that they know they need to hire an attorney. They're not a tire kicker. They know the value of an attorney in that context. Somebody who knows that it's going to take time, effort, and money to do what they need to do. Somebody who is going to respect me and my firm as humans, as professionals, not someone who works for, but who works with them. Mm -hmm. Somebody who has an understanding of, you know, communicating with us on time, telling us the truth, who understands what's, you know, what I need to know in order to help best help them. So that's really my ideal client. And it's really a range of professionals, 
but also the stay-at-home parent. Mm-hmm. And I would say the age range is all over the place as well. But usually we're seeing anywhere between 30 to 50. Okay. Um, and then we take a break and then we see 60 and up. Yeah, that's the trend right now. What are they calling that? Late life divorce or something like that? The gray that? divorce, yeah. Oh, the gray divorce. Well, I, that's, I, know. I don't know if I, I don't want to be in that category. Uh <laughs> I love my wife a lot, and uh, I've heard that it can, as you know, being involved in it. I don't want to. No, we will. We will exclude you from that group. We Thank will you. Exclude you from that group. Yes, I appreciate that. So maybe I could be in the silver group. Sure. Instead there of the gray go. one. Okay. All right. So, are there any misconceptions that clients have when they that you help them overcome when you're first starting to work with them? Yeah, I think a lot of people. The first thing they do is they Google. And then the second thing they do is call an attorney and I call it either WebMDing themselves, like when people get a medical symptom, then they go and look online or I call it front stoop lawyering, meaning that Mm -hmm. they've talked to their friend who went through the divorce last year. And the biggest misconception is that every divorce is the same and that there's certain things that the family court is going to provide to everyone, but it's not one size fits all. It is not just about what you think is fair. There's a, a whole set of laws and rules and regulations. So, most people come to the process with some kind of a misconception because of what they've seen from someone else. Right. So I always try to tell clients, your situation is unique. And if you have questions about that, come to me rather than Google. Right. Or your friend that got divorced last year. Yes. Or the friend <laughs> that got divorced last year. Yes. Right. Okay. So let's maybe jump into some of your areas of uh, expertise, if you don't mind. Um, so maybe walk us through the difference between a pre and a post nup. I mean, we kind of know because of the way that it uh, starts, but maybe just walk us through and maybe get us, help us get past, uh, how do you get past that stigma around why they're even needed at all? Cause you hear that thing like, well, if you really love each other, then you really don't need to do that. So, it's so romantic. I that's know. right. I that's know. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, actually I'm the one that does the most pre and post nups at our firm. I really like it. Again, it's a nice thing. This is a couple getting married or who is already married and wants to establish themselves. But you sort of hit the nail on the head with their self-explanatory. A prenuptial agreement is something that a, a couple will sign and enter into prior to their marriage. And it becomes a living, working document once the marriage happens. A post-nup is a couple who is already legally married, but wants to enter into this agreement so that for both, in both cases, in the event of divorce, they have a roadmap for how they're going to divide their assets and their debts. Okay. Um, I always look at it like insurance. You drive a car every single day, you have auto insurance. You don't want to get into an accident. You hope that you're not going to, but in the event that you do, the insurance is there. It's the same thing with the pre and the post-nup. You, you've entered into a marriage. You're going about your daily lives. You hope you're not going to get divorced, but if you do, then this is your insurance policy that helps you to navigate that process. Okay. And when you say they're living documents, Diana, I have a question around that. So in both cases with the pre and the post, you said they're living documents. Can they be amended 
or altered or changed, or is it something that's irrevocable once it's put into place? That's a great question. So first, what I mean by that is if a couple has negotiated and signed a prenup, but then they call off the wedding, the prenup isn't valid. So it's not alive. So that's piece number one. But yes, a lot of couples enter into prenuptial agreements at the very beginning of their marriage and life together when maybe they haven't earned at their full potential or they can't Mm -hmm. see into the future about what their career trajectory is going to be like. So of course you can always amend. And there's actually a a piece in the original prenup that talks about what needs to happen to validate an, an amendment. It needs to be in writing. It needs to be the same way that you effectuated the actual prenup originally and it needs to effectively be attached to that original prenup so that you can see it all together okay all right thank you for that that makes sense i think thinking about it i would just probably wait and do a post up (laughs) (laughs) that's my opinion that's my opinion it's an interesting conversation to have you know i think with the prenup um candidly for me at least with with my marriage i've been married six and a half years now together for 10 and it was a great way to at least have a conversation about finances so you know my husband ultimately knew we were going to sign one just because of the nature of my job but even if couples are are hesitant about it or maybe they aren't going to go through with doing the prenup it was a great financial conversation starter to get you on the same page right they used to call that marital counseling yes (laughs) (laughs) okay all right so let's switch gears so in in regards to like child support all right where you have a marriage attending and you have child support um, considerations what are the things that are really important there that you kind of guide clients through sure so it's important to note that each state is different right but most states have a guideline and i look at them as mathematical formulas at the end of the day we're looking at incomes so the idea is that your child is entitled to 100 percent of their financial needs to be met and when you're in a household together that pie is whole with the two incomes Mm. if you're in two households separately you you're breaking apart that pie and the child support calculation is based on the differential between your two incomes so people are often you know concerned if their spouses or soon-to-be ex-spouse quits a job or is hiding income or works under the table Mm -hmm. but most of the states are very hip to that and have ways to impute income for people so the biggest thing to to know is that just because someone doesn't have it on paper the courts know that there are ways that people can you know slip around and and get aware around it but ultimately we can find a, a great set of numbers to do the calculation yeah Right. And that could be incorporating maybe a forensic accountant or somebody with another certification that has experience in that. Okay, so we use forensic accountants often in our work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure not everyone is completely honest when it comes to a divorce situation, I'm sure. Okay, so how how do you manage client expectations and emotions when you're guiding them through this? Because this is, you know, I've heard it said this could be one of the most traumatic events in their life, right? With grief involved and, you know, almost just like losing a loved one or someone dying. So how do you help them manage that? That's a great question. They say that divorce, moving, and actual death are are the Mm -hmm. three big things that can be traumatic events in people's lives. And I think the way that I approach it and the way my firm approaches it is that 
first and foremost, we're their attorneys, but we also do have to take on a little bit of that counselor at law, mm. you know, moniker and listen and understand that a lot of these decisions are emotionally driven. But when I speak with my clients, you know, from jump, from that initial consultation, I tell them that I'm not an attorney who's going to blow smoke and just tell them yes, 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 because that doesn't do them any good. So I try to explain to them as best as possible the limitations of the family court process that often divorce is looked at as a business transaction. And then if there are things that they need, maybe a therapist, a mediator, a divorce coach, somebody else besides me to help them navigate the emotional piece of it, to be able to then come back to the business financial side of it, that's helpful too. But I'll say to someone, you know, I appreciate that that's what you're looking for. We can try that. But in my experience, this is what's likely to happen. And then that's where the importance of our attorney-client relationship comes in. If it's a client who trusts me, then they're going to say, okay, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I trust what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kind of liken that in our field with the best interest thing where, you know, we have a relationship, maybe it even goes beyond trust, but they know implicitly that what I'm suggesting to them um, whether they like it or not, or maybe want to hear it or not, is what I believe to be in their best interest in moving forward that will give them the best outcome possible. Okay, I like how you said that. Now, let's switch topics to adoption. You know, this I have a heart in this area. I One of my children, our, our daughter, uh, we adopted. So what led you into this area of the law? Was there an event or just something you did in clerking or what, what led you into that? Well, I always call adoption the happy side of family law. You know, Mm -hmm. divorce is the dissolution of a family. Adoption is the building up of one. Mm -hmm. And I I really got into it when I was working in juvenile dependency and seeing, you know, a child go through the foster care system, but ultimately end up with either being adopted by a family member or a foster parent and really having that joy. And it was really, really lovely to see. And I, I noticed that there was a niche in private practice of attorneys who did that kind of work. So I started taking it on myself when I went out into private practice, but then colleagues of mine started giving me more cases and I really started enjoying it. So I started, you know, really putting myself out there as that kind of attorney. And I started establishing relationships with agencies, with social workers, with whoever I needed to, to be able to be at the forefront of that, of that area. And and now it's, it's about a third of my practice. So I really, okay. Okay. And, you know, I'm speaking kind of from experience, but also from an opinion with, you know, research and stuff that I've done. Maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't. The process that's involved in adopting is crazy, like the length of time that it takes and the red tape and all of that. So maybe since you're in the trenches, how do you feel like that maybe it could be more streamlined or maybe made more affordable and available to people? Now, of course, I know when it comes to family connections, there's a emphasis to try to keep the kids with their biological parents. So I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about all the other obstacles that seem to get in the way. Yeah. So it's actually something that the adoption community, the professionals community talks about a lot as well. I got involved with an organization called HelpUsAdopt.org and their sole mission is to provide grants for families looking to adopt because of the astronomical cost. Mm -hmm. And when I got talking to their founder, we started to see that there were these 
isolated islands of the adoption professionals. And what I mean by that is all the attorneys had their own little network. Right. And then the agencies had their own little network. And then the social workers had their own network. And nobody was talking together. So we formed an adoption professionals council that's now nationwide with 65 different professionals so that we could all share the information and talk together so that people don't have to get information piecemeal. They don't have to duplicatively pay for something that they already got with a different professional. And I think I always recommend that the the starting point is find an attorney. Mm. And when clients come to me with a private adoption scenario where they don't have a child identified that they want to adopt, I can then direct them to each of the different agencies that I'm connected to through my network. And Mm. then they can work with those agencies and professionals as they need to. And my hope is that it streamlines the costs as well, because then they don't have to start paying for multiple people before they figure out where they actually you know, need to focus. Right. Yeah, that's great. It's, I can see where that would really streamline things. I wish they could do that in healthcare. <laughs> I can go back, go back to the general physician. Then he points me over here, and then you got to go back to him, and I point you over there. And they don't talk to each other. <laughs> I know. So, but I that's know. that's a topic for a different conversation, right? We can sure. discuss that all day, Diana. Okay, sure, so sure. maybe share with me what you see as kind of the biggest opportunity for the future and for your for your firm. Sure. So I think the biggest opportunity for our firm is growth. You know, we're, like I said, we're boutique, but we certainly understand, you know, maybe we'll bring on another attorney, maybe we won't, but divorce and and family law, they call used to call it recession proof. Now it's pandemic proof. In fact, divorce is up almost 30 to 40%. And for us, we really want to keep working and being able to serve as many families as we can. So if that means bringing on another attorney to do that, then, then we will. That's the direction that we're headed in. Okay. Now on the flip side of that, you know, growth is a good thing. So maybe share with me what you think your biggest challenge or obstacle uh, going forward is going to be. Yeah, I think, like you said, growth is a good thing, but it also comes with a new set of of problems. Right now, I think support staff is our biggest problem. Mm. We have two fantastic uh, legal assistants and an office manager that we just brought on recently. But I think making sure that we don't overload our support staff by servicing too many attorneys in the firm and making sure that we have enough of a centralized system together, that's, I think, our biggest hurdle is creating the infrastructure along with the growth. Okay. Yeah. So systems and infrastructure, I guess. Yeah. Those are, like you said, growth is a good thing, but you also don't want to bog down the people. We try to stay like a half a person ahead of where we think we're going to be, but as you're probably finding, um, hiring is really tough right now. It it's is a really tough. very competitive market. Probably the most that I've seen, you know, since I've been in business in terms of finding people and, and good people and hiring them. I agree, especially with certain age level and experience level attorneys. There's just not enough enough talent out there. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about you or your practice or your firm and they want to contact you, what's probably the best way for them to do that? Sure. So they can go to our website, familylawmks.com. We also have an Instagram account where we like to post, you know, funny memes and keep it okay. moving on a humorous, uh, right. humorous track. That's MKSS Family Law on, on Instagram. I'm also personally on Instagram and Facebook um, at D Shimmy. I share a lot of stuff about my family law work. I do a lot of personal posting there about content helpful for family law. Maybe you'll see a little bit about my daughter 
as well. But, you know, that's a great place to reach us. But starting with our website is the way to go. Okay. And is that one S or two S's, the website? The website itself is actually one S, familylawmks.com. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure and clarify. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Diana, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure having you as a guest. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Be well, take care, and we will see you next time. Diana, again, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.